Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development. And last week, QIC was honoured to host five of the nation's most respected CEOs from the superannuation industry, alongside our CEO for the second in our QIC Superfund Roundtable series. Our first session held in April helped shape the national debates surrounding the management of superannuation portfolios during the COVID-19 crisis. The second roundtable held last week was facilitated by none other than Lee Sales. It focused on unpacking the vital twin role super plays in achieving the retirement goals of Australians, whilst also aiding our country's economic recovery following the significant impact of the pandemic. Today, we're joined by our CEO, Damien Frawley, who pulled some double duties in hosting the roundtable, but also participating alongside Bernard Riley from Sun Super, Debbie Blakey from Hester, Vicky Doyle from REST, David Elliott from Host Plus, and David Atkins from CBUS. Welcome, Damien. Thanks, Craig. Uh, mate, before we get into it, can I get you to share with our listeners a quick headline as to why QIC is hosting these series? Yeah, thanks, Craig. So, you know, I think QIC hosting the roundtable and the various roundtables we've done it really just goes to lend a hand, if you like, in quite difficult times for some of our clients with respect to being able to educate the broader population and even, frankly, some <laughs> politicians around the importance and the complexity of the superannuation industry in terms of managing liquidity, but ultimately protecting our, our superannuation uh, clients and their clients and their retirement savings. Um, I think there's been a bit of debate uh, and a little bit of media attention recently uh, around superannuation and going really to the core of it, you know, certain people questioning the merit uh, of the superannuation system. So it was very important that, you know, we as a participant in that industry were there to lend a hand to our clients, that is the super funds and those other CEOs that were on that call that day did a wonderful job of really just balancing the debate out and educating people uh, on the importance of superannuation and, you know, the importance of not sort of wavering around the way we've been doing things for many years now. And as I think I said in that session, that um, it ain't broke. Um, it actually works pretty well. And what we want is some certainty. So that was really the the premise for us getting involved and and being proactive. Yeah. So really, if I can summarise it, really as a local manager, sort of being on hand to participate in the local industry and help our our clients and uh, and superannuation funds have a bit of a platform to uh, highlight the importance of super and, and the role it plays. And I just want to pick up one of the points you mentioned there before, Damien, because you used the word wavering. There is this idea there's a suddenness of the policy in granting early access to your super. Before I get you to delve a little deeper here, I just want to play a portion of some of the comments made by the CEOs who attended. Uh, obviously, uh, the pandemic is creating a lot of uncertainty, a lot of nervousness in, in markets uh, globally. Uh, that's certainly throwing up numerous challenges for us. And then overlaying that is, you know, really just getting clarity on, on the purpose and role of super. And, I think uh, I've said it on many occasions, you know, we still do not have bipartisan, effectively bipartisan support around the objectives of super. And um, hopefully in time, we will be able to get some fundamental agreement in, in that regard. 
Well, these are certainly extraordinary times, as you've highlighted. And um, to be fair, I think uh, Australia's had to look at extraordinary measures to solve to that. And early release was one of those. Uh, we still have quite significant liquidity, like David said. So we, as super funds and long-term investors, we have the opportunity to help Australia on economic recovery. But the big piece we need is policy certainty. So it's been a challenge, I think, for all of us because we aren't organisations that are payment organisations largely. Uh, we're accumulation organisations largely. And so to be able to, to turn our organisations around to be able to pay money out in such a short period of time, in addition to having volatile markets and the like, uh, I know has been a challenge for a number of funds. So just then we heard from Vicky Doyle from REST, David Elia, the CEO of Host Plus, and Bernard Riley, the relatively new CEO of Sun Super. And the key message that was resonating throughout our roundtable were their calls for future policy certainty amongst very uncertain markets to meet their members' needs, but also to invest for their role in the future of super. So, Damien, can I get your take here? QIC is, of course, one of Australia's largest investment funds managers. Uh, we're also intimately attuned to the external environment and any changes which might impact uh, long-term investment strategies. What was your initial thought when you heard the government had mandated the COVID-19 early release scheme? Well, I think it's important that we sort of acknowledge first the complexity sort of revolves around the whole COVID-19 issue with respect to super. It's obviously been very disruptive on many communities, uh, on business, and it's caused, you know, intense hardship uh, to many, many Australians. I think the government's response in allowing, you know, thousands of Australians facing immediate financial hardship and financial pressure, early access to their super fund was a valid and correct response. And that was a message that we heard loud and clear over and over again at the round table, frankly. Um, so there was no one on that call that day who uh, were vehemently opposed to, you know, what the government's done here. Um, these are, as they say, unprecedented times. So they call for unprecedented actions. But in order for the industry to create value for you know, Australians and the economy over time, the focus must be on active management rather than costs. And we need a policy that supports the premise. The investment strategies of super funds are vital in fueling Australia's rebound through investments in essential infrastructure, which can rebuild Australia's economy, support employment and also social capital. To require super funds to increase their liquidity holdings, you effectively uh, put... Uh, the notion of long-term investing in jeopardy. Uh, many of the, as they call them, nation-building assets um, that provide and create jobs and build economies and will assist in helping drag the economy out of the effects of COVID are illiquid assets. So there is going to need to be good thought given to how to manage liquidity in the face of continuing to ensure that you're investing for the long term. Um, the system, in my view, is working perfectly well and has worked perfectly well for many, many years now. As I've often said, it's doing its job. Uh, what it's also doing is actually taking away the pressure and the potential pressure on future government balance sheets and also, as I said, government P&Ls. And down the road, you know, moving away from the super system today or making 
any sort of move to suppress it uh, and to wind it back is only going to create knock-on issues uh, and knock-on effects to government down the road in terms of their their financial accounts and particularly their profit and loss. The only thing I would add at the other end, and we talked a lot about this at the round table, is the demographic of people accessing the early release. I think the other thing that we're going to need to contend with as we get further into the recession, which we obviously know is going to happen, is around the effects of unemployment uh, and the effects of uh, large-scale redundancies across multiple industries, uh, I think will also present some challenges to some of those CEOs on that call in terms of how they manage that um, and people taking early early retirement or redundancies is going to cause some disruption to, uh, you know, to the super sector. And again, managing that liquidity in the face of all of that is a really, really important thing that they have to think about. So what we're saying is that we not only need policy certainty, but we need to be involved in the consultation when policy is being developed. And I think that was really what many of those CEOs wanted. None of them, as I said, disagreed with the notion of an early early release scheme. But what they would have liked was that there was some consultation in the development of that policy so that it may have been executed and implemented a little bit better. Thanks, Damien. It's certainly a, a theme that's popped into some other conferences that have been run recently as well. And what we're really looking for, I suppose, what the CEOs are sort of highlighting is that need for, you know, our politicians to take that longer term view like Super is also looking to achieve. So I also want to pick up one of the really interesting points you made there on that need to take that long term view on the impact the decisions made today will have on tomorrow. If I can turn to another ripple effect, the impact that Superfund Capital makes when it is able to be directed towards long term opportunities. This is what all the CEOs were essentially calling for, Damien, when they asked for that bipartisan support for clarity on on Super's role. Is this one of the unintended consequences, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and and, and what won't be good for members' investments is if short-term thinking and responses override a longer-term need. Long-term investments in illiquid assets have played an essential role in exposing portfolios to different parts of the economy especially outside of listed markets, where the number of securities have diminished over the past 10 to 15 years and forces investment offshore. CIOs and CEOs of super funds uh, are responsible for, uh, as I said, creating value um, and giving people a dignified retirement. And in order to do that, they've got to look for assets, not just uh, in Australia, but right around the globe to invest in uh, and they assess expected returns against the risk taken. But I think if the opportunities domestically get there on their merit and their investment merit and are attractive, there is no reason to suspect that many of those super funds would deploy capital towards those opportunities. We shouldn't exaggerate funds exposures to illiquid assets, nor forget the contribution they make to stability and returns for members' savings. Um, they are a critical part of a balanced portfolio. Yeah, and I want to get a little bit of that further, Damien, uh, if that's okay with you, because um, you mentioned it earlier, this idea that we need you know, policies to support that longer-term investments um, so that they're not in jeopardy, so they can really help support investments in areas which are going to help us emerge from COVID-19. 
So why is it so attractive um, uh, for super as long-term investors to have these liquid assets in their portfolios? Well, I think the, the proof's in the return. You know, like I'll give you some examples. So over a 10-year horizon, uh, unlisted property trusts or unlisted property assets such as retail, office and industrial have generated an average return of 7.4% net of all fees. Now, that's according to the Property Council of Australia. And this is about three percentage points higher than the dividend yield on the ASX S&P 200 uh, over the same time horizon, which is a highly liquid investment. So, so, you know, I think the returns speak for themselves through, through the cycle and through time. Stability in income is particularly attractive to members entering or nearing retirement uh, with bond yields, you know, now at 10-year bond yields at sub 1% people closing in on retirement and looking for income uh, to support them in retirement are really needing to look at alternatives to a a government bond uh, yielding sub 1%. Many of the equities in the share market are also, as times get tougher and we get deeper into the recession, are going to start to curtail uh, their dividend payouts, uh, which we've already seen. Um, So they do present great opportunities for retirees uh, uh, who are looking for income. The unlisted illiquid assets owe their high income returns in part to the underlying drivers of the assets too, which is an important point, which tend to be stable relative to the drivers of equities and bonds. For example, um, retail property income is driven by rents from businesses uh, catering to consumer spending, which tends to be more stable than the overall level of economic activity. Many infrastructure assets are driven by relatively stable demands, such as motor vehicle traffic or energy consumption. So this, this is starting to paint a picture of you know, very diverse characteristics that make up the returns in those sort of assets. Unlisted illiquid assets have a low correlation to listed uh, liquid assets. Uh, For example, the correlation of the Australian property assets to Australian equities is estimated to be just around 0.12%, while its correlation to bonds is 0.23. So they're very, very lowly correlated. And when you're trying to put together a balanced portfolio, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to find asset classes and assets and investments that uh, aren't highly correlated. Thanks, Damien. Just to clarify for our listeners, you're referring to those property income returns then when you compare them to the dividend yield on the ASX. Just want to make that clear. Damien, you sort of mentioned earlier in that uh, answer there, uh, this unlisted property returns, and you also touched on infrastructure as well just then. It's always good to have a, a bit of a painter story here by way of an example. So can you give us an example of a positive ripple effect through the lens of one of our investments? So one of those examples is Powering Australia Renewables Fund, which was put together in cooperation with uh, with AGL. Uh, you know, and our infra team have invested into that vehicle. Uh, we've created a portfolio of large-scale renewable energy assets that are helping the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. That also produces a range of economic and social benefits. Once we've completed these four projects uh, that are in train, um, that traverse across wind and solar in both New South Wales and Queensland, we will deliver over 2.4 million megawatts of power. That's not in the system as we speak. 
that will serve to generate enough power for 465,000 average Australian homes. And what it also does, it reduces our CO2 emittance uh, to the point of about 2.4 million tonnes. They also generate jobs. They usually are regionally based, which I think is another big thing that the politicians spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, and that is to how to activate and engage um, employment in the regions. And most definitely, renewables serve that purpose uh, very, very well and have proven to be a very, very good investment for us so far. Thanks, Damien. It's interesting you cited uh, power or powering Australia's renewable as an example. As we heard during the roundtable, there's a lot of intent from the CEOs around the role of super in a green-led recovery. Let's take a listen to what the CEOs had to say. But I think it's important to think super is such a long-term investment, that 20, 30, 40-year time horizon, and we need to give thought to the world our members will retire into. It's not just about the dollars in their accounts. This is an amazing time to use the mindset we've used to solve issues through the COVID crisis to apply to the future. And for us, you know, we think this is just such an incredible opportunity for a green-led recovery, for a very inclusive recovery, and that long-term sustainable employment, the focus on more resilient communities, and of course, a healthier environment. And we wouldn't like to, to lose that opportunity. We're seeing around the world uh, through Europe and, in, uh, and, and also in North America, uh, that governments are now beginning to tie their, their policy responses to COVID with also the greening of the economy. I think we have an opportunity to do that here as well in Australia, uh, but also um, in terms of the built environment. The built environment also makes up 28% of emissions. Uh, and so if we're able to invest, as we're looking to, in shovel-ready projects, but at the same time be thinking about energy efficiency, for example, or tapping into the renewable energy, then we're, doing, we're achieving two things at once that will have a, a positive outcome for, for society. So just then we heard from Debbie Blakey from HESTA and also David Atkins from CBUS. And I suppose the uh, sentiment there is shared by all the CEOs at that roundtable. Of course, just before the roundtable, uh, HESTA announced it is the first major super fund to set carbon reduction targets with a 33% reduction by 2030 and hitting that net zero 2050 Paris uh, agreement deadline as well. So congratulations to them for setting these ambitious and socially conscious targets. Damien, it's not just a green-led recovery that is on offer for the superannuation funds in respect to the rebuilding opportunities that lay ahead for the Australian economy. There is also the support of the Australian economy, its evolution, and of course, job creation, which you mentioned earlier. So let's hear from David Lelia from Host Plus, followed by Bernard Riley from Sun Super. But, you know, we're all doing a lot uh, in terms of investing. We certainly haven't stopped investing. We've allocated over a billion dollars uh, in terms of the Australian uh, listed markets. Uh, we've participated in 54 separate uh, capital raisings of ASX listed companies. Um, we're not taking our dividends back. We're, we're, we're supporting dividend reinvestment plans, again, to help those companies to either recapitalise or give them the opportunity to continue to invest over the long term. Um, every fund's doing something unique. Uh, Host Plus is, is certainly a leader in the area of uh, venture capital. You know, the smart economy, you know, we're, we're talking about this genuine tra transition 
from old economy stocks to new uh, new economy stocks. And we're certainly at the forefront of, of doing just that. You know, $1.7 billion committed um, to, that, uh, to that asset class. And we know new businesses create jobs. And uh, we're certainly doing our bit in that, uh, in that regard. I think there's a balance there. And I think we you know, clearly uh, battle with that balance every day, looking at the opportunities here in Australia versus uh, overseas. And I'll give you one example. I mean, we, we have looked over a number of years at investing in the private market space into data centres. And when we looked here in Australia, you know, we, we came close on a couple of opportunities, but they were priced outside of where we thought value um, existed for our members. And so, in fact, we ended up investing in some Swiss data centres. We put in about uh, 85 million US dollars invested in there over, a little bit over a year ago. Uh, and that does two things for us. We think we get access to an asset uh, at a better entry price than we would have if we'd invested in the Australian asset, first thing. Secondly, give us also some geographic diversification that, again, is good for our members. So I think it's about that balance. So both CEOs there sort of referring to their role of investing in strategic assets. Damien, what's your take on the role superannuation funds and managers of super capital like ourselves are going to play in the post-COVID world in respect to owning and operating strategically important assets? Yeah, look, I, I think, as I said earlier, it, it's really important that we understand what the obligation of a super fund is and the obligation of that super fund is to ensure that we're investing almost with no boundaries, geographic boundaries is one example. Uh, we're looking for, and they're looking for uh, the greatest opportunity against uh, the amount of risk they're prepared to take um, because that's sort of what they're paid to do, right? But in saying that, uh, I think the opportunities domestically, you know, post-COVID world as the economy needs to be rebuilt will pop up numerous opportunities locally uh, to partner with government to invest in quite attractive investment opportunities, particularly in the infrastructure space. Um, I think the development of infrastructure and the creation of infrastructure has already proven to be a key driver of economic growth. So there really needs to be a conversation about how super can support productivity growth, particularly where governments may not have a lot of firepower or a lot of money to support growth in the future. As you've seen with the stimulus uh, and the eye-popping um, sort of amount of stimulus that the government is now putting into the economy, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to ask private capital uh, to come in alongside them to start to present and create some of these opportunities uh, or some of this necessary infrastructure build, uh, which will create those jobs, but that will also provide investment opportunities. The other area that you know is quite interesting is the corporate debt space. Australia has always been very underrepresented in, in the corporate debt space uh, relative to uh, other countries, you know, with investors having generally to look offshore to gain that exposure to this investment class where central banks are providing liquidity. Um, I think, you know, the continued growth in the corporate debt space to provide debt, um, as again, companies rebuild, I think will present a great opportunity as well for super funds to invest in. Um, as I said before, partnering with government and having private capital partner with, as they call, 
call it public capital, that is government money, um, I think that is also going to present opportunities. I will say and caution, however, that it's important that the government um, and that private capital work together in the development of a credible uh, PPP framework. Um, because at the moment, I still believe that uh, there's some wrinkles in the process of PPPs. So I do believe, getting back to my original point of consultation in policy development, I do believe that getting a more robust and certain PPP framework will only benefit um, not just investors, but also government as they collectively seek to sort of rebuild the economy. We need a, a full and transparent framework to share the risk between government and that private capital because largely it's mums and dads' money. You know, we've got to be able to articulate to those mums and dads in those super funds uh, why it's attractive to partner with government capital to invest in nation-building assets. Thanks, Damien. I'm really glad you sort of highlighted the PPP space and also the corporate debt facility because, you know, if you look at the ladder there, it's largely dominated by Australian banks uh, locally here. So we really do need that, that sort of that policy certainty. And as you mentioned, that consultation is going to be crucial. So having the right regulatory environment is going to be crucial for our system. COVID is also showing us that agility and evolution is vital. And as you've just highlighted, it is mums and dads' money we are investing in. So could I get you to talk us through why active management is so vital? And do you have any examples, Damien, to really highlight the value active management can have in the real asset space? Well, that's what we get paid to do, Craig. You know, <laughs> um, fund managers, active fund managers get paid a fee to add value to investors. So, so active management is the key ingredient uh, of being able to drive that return. Um, and that's what we do. You know, as an example... And the best one that I can probably use is, that some people would be familiar with, um, is the Port of Melbourne and the Port Rail Transformation Project that is well underway now. One of the initiatives we've act actively managed has been a $125 million infrastructure project providing a more efficient and productive supply chain for port users while also reducing road congestion and pollution for Melbourne's inner west. The port rail system is a solution that addresses potential issues from increased truck congestion and port rail interface to significantly improve the efficiency of freight transport in Victoria. Efficient rail access to the port is essential to the delivery of the integrated freight transport system and forms a key pillar of a cost-effective and effective transport system to support long-term economic growth in Victoria and southeastern Australia. Moving freight from road to rail is also a solution to many of the broader challenges arising from increasing population, urbanisation, development, rising pollution and congestion. Through asset managers and nominees directors, QIC actively engaged with the Port of Melbourne Board and management on the key risk initiative that protects and enhances the value of the asset over the long term. QIC's focus was on the funding, commercial and operating framework and strategic stakeholder engagement to influence different levels of decision-making within government. So that's just one example of how you actively manage our assets to, to create more value. Another one that's probably worth touching on is um, 
uh, in our GRE business. You know, um, the GRE division last week announced a commitment to achieving a net zero carbon emissions for its core Australian retail assets by 2028, a target which will make, make us the first Australian signatory to the World Green Building Council net zero emissions commitment for a retail portfolio. That's fantastic, Damien. Can't wait to see one of Australia's largest rooftop solar projects for that net zero carbon emissions commitment. I also really like the theme of partnership that resonates through our active management story. Can you tell us one of your highlights? As an extension of that, and the other thing that we've also done, which is really exciting in GRE, is we formed a partnership with a group called Eureka Energy to deliver a whole-of-system renewable energy solution incorporating PV solar technology, battery storage, and 24-7 system monitoring to optimise the value of on-site renewable energy. The partnerships saw the rollout of Eureka's smart connected solar technology across QIC's GRE Australian assets. As a result, we will make Queensland's largest bulky goods shopping centre, Domain Central in Townsville, fully energy self-sustained within three years, the first shopping centre in Australia to do so. We'll reduce grid electricity consumption by up to 30% across the portfolio, significantly lower the carbon footprint of all the retail assets, and we'll future-proof the retail assets against energy supply and pricing uncertainty. Thanks for that, Damien. Great examples we have there of our own active management. I suppose the last question I'd like to throw at you is, just to comment on whether active management just benefits the value of the asset, does it also play a broader role in rebuilding our economy and communities through COVID? So active management empowers super funds to not only meet investment target objectives on behalf of their members, but to also direct capital to those opportunities that will benefit all Australians. There should also be a greater appreciation of the strong governance that super funds, especially industry super funds, have at every level of their operations led by experienced boards, there is a clear, well-measured and strong leadership from the top, which ensures funds held on behalf of their members can also be directed at initiatives which strengthen the very communities in which they live. We see Australian super funds as skilled and thoughtful allocators of their members' capital and who also meet a dual function of fulfilling the immediate needs of their members and directing investments to long-term assets that will be more considered and sustainable than ever before. Thanks, Damien. Two great examples there, and I'd find it really difficult to understand anyone who could argue that these two examples you highlight aren't also not only clear strategic assets for Australia, but also being managed in a very responsible way. Uh, and also there's clear evidence of strong active investment there as well. Damien, thank you so much for sharing your reflections today on the key points highlighted during our roundtable. As we have since entered into round two of the early release of Super, and with a lot of pressure still potentially to come through the system with the policy reviews in train around JobKeeper and JobSeeker, the roundtable was clearly very valued to the importance of effective consultation and working in unison. Those flow-on effects are so important for our nation of policy certainty and collaboration, including that ability to rebuild a more sustainable and competitive Australian economy and ensuring the critical elements that is active management is encouraged to play a key role. 
If you'd like more information on what was discussed today, then please reach out to your relationship manager. Thank you for listening and please look out for our next QPod and have a wonderful week ahead.